dirt road in a gooseneck saddle up with me dry land in god's country crops far as i can see the headlights on both ends of my day this country Welcome, folks, to HPJ Talk, the podcast from High Plains Journal, bringing the ag news and commentary of the week to you. I'm Jennifer M. Latsky, and I'm joined by my colleague, Kayleen Scott. Hey there, Kayleen. Hey, Jenny. Well, Kayleen's on the phone again, folks, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're in separate locations again, but then that's the beauty of a podcast like ours, isn't it? Yeah. So yesterday, you and I and your young son, Chance, and, and our boss, uh, uh, Dave Bergmeyer, we all loaded up in the, the one-horse sleigh and headed on out to the wheat field just outside of Bloom, Kansas, to chat with uh, Brian Jones, who's one of our All Aboard Wheat Harvest crew members, right? Yeah. Chance pretty, cool to see, pretty cool to see what they were doing. <laughs> Chance had fun riding the combine, didn't he? Yeah, I think so. He tried to tell his brother about it this morning, and my husband, the guy he works for, they're starting to harvest yesterday, and so Sean went with him, and when Chance, Sean didn't know anything about where we went last night, and so when Chance told him about it, it ended up into a fight because Sean didn't believe him. (laughs) No way you went. Yes way. Oh, it was fun. Um, you know, you can tell how long it's been, though, since we've been on a field visit, because I almost left town without a full tank of gas, and <laughs> both of us had dead batteries in our cameras. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we are professionals, people. Please do not try this at home. Uh, it was it was good, though, to chat with Brian and his folks and his, his whole family that he, that he uh cuts with. And, you know, later on, we're going to have a, a conversation on the podcast with Brian and his dad, Glenn. And I think it's, um, you know, Harvest has this mythology around it. Have you noticed, Kayleen? Everybody stops what they're doing. And maybe maybe it's just us Kansas people, but everybody stops and takes notice of Harvest. Even even the weather guys in the on the TV stations in Wichita, um, even the weather guys on the the stations around Topeka and Kansas City, they pay attention to harvest time because, you know, it's it's a major thing for our state. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've if you noticed that a couple of those stations they share you know harvest photos of the day, right? Yeah, I've seen a few, and then I actually heard a commercial on the radio yesterday for a harvester, which I thought was kind of different. <laughs> <laughs> But I tell you what, things have really changed just in the last 20 years. I remember every harvest, High Plains Journal, our offices here in Dodge City, we used to be a point of contact for the uh, the harvest crews. They would come in, um, some of them would have their mail sent here, and they would pick up their mail here. Uh, I remember we used to have somebody that would work 
the harvest office, quote unquote, and uh, she would answer phone calls. And if somebody had a job for a harvest crew, she'd post those. And if you were a harvest crew looking for a job, you came in here to the office to see if there were any jobs posted. It was a little bit of a hub. Um, We stopped doing that. Oh gosh, maybe 10, 15 years ago, more like 15 years ago, I guess. But yeah, they were still doing it when I started. It, that was kind of a quaint little thing, wasn't it, Kayleen? Yeah, the poor person had to sit at a desk in the breezeway between the, the offices and the communication center. You know, talking with Brian's dad, you almost wonder how how did they ever make it happen without cell phones and GPS and all of the tools that we rely on today? And and I know everybody says that, you know, how did we ever do without all of the, the technology we have, but they really just loaded up and went South and they had, you know, certain stops that they did and they knew they were going to be there. And, you know, there was a lot of prayer that made you made it work throughout the season. Wasn't there? Yeah. Then, they did some legwork and went out in the communities and found the people they needed to talk to. I just can't imagine. I, I saw a video of a harvest, a, a custom cutting crew moving down the road in like 1959, 1958, somewhere around there. And the combine is loaded up on the back of a pickup truck. It looks like <laughs> 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 or in the back of the grain, the grain wagon, really. Um, you know, they're, they're moving equipment and it took so many people and so many man hours just to get the crop out. And here we are looking at today in 2020, you know, wheat harvest in an area barring, you know, weather concerns, barring rain and, and other problems. I suppose you could say it takes about a week to maybe 10 days or two weeks to get the harvest out for most people, right? Yeah, it just depends on how many machines you got going and how fa- favorable the weather is for you. Man, I don't think, though, I would go back to it. Now, you and I were talking in the car ride home yesterday. We both remember there was a mini series in 1980-something, and uh, it was on CBS, and it was about these two custom-cutting crews bringing in the harvest and you and I think it's called Race Against the Harvest. Is that right? Sure. I remember it vaguely. I remember because there's a scene with the trailer house in there and the, the tornado hitting the trailer house. And we lived in a mobile home when I was a kid. So that was terrifying to me. I just remember it because there was one of the crew members, one of the teenage crew members had a, a Kansas University of Kansas Jayhawk shirt on. And I thought at that young age that that was a travesty. <laughs> that all of America is only going to think we're the Jayhawks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's, it's interesting how harvest and farming has a place in everybody's brain and they all have a certain image of it. Isn't that right? Yeah. When I talked to Steph Ozowski last week during our interview, she made, I asked her what her favorite thing is about wheat harvest. And she said, it's the smell. Mm. and certainly triggered memories of, of my childhood being out in the wheat field. And yesterday when I was out in the wheat field, it, you could smell it. I mean, you could smell the wheat, the odor it leaves behind after it's been cut, the machines, the dirt, you know, everything. You can, It's got its own smell. 
It does. It's a good smell. It's not a bad smell, guys. Yeah. It's a good smell. It you, It's almost hints of baking bread, or that's what I think of it, without the yeast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think for me, harvest is always going to be, you know, I'm, I'm always going to have memories of being a kid and riding in a ratty old combine with my dad that didn't have any AC and sure did not have a bucket seat for, or a, a buddy seat for the, the kids and the grandkids to ride around in. Um, you know, there was no high, highfalutin electronics. There might've been a radio um, wired up inside the cab. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was so cantankerous that dad was the only one that really could operate the combine without breaking it down needlessly. Um, the Latsky family never did have the highest grade of equipment, shall we say. Yeah, my dad liked new things. He always had the cool little trinkets. Like Brian and I were talking yesterday about how far the technology has in the inside of the machines, but how it used to be. Like when I was probably 10 or 12, dad got a handheld moisture tester. Mm -hmm. And we just thought that was the coolest thing it has to haul a coffee can full of wheat to the elevator to see what it what it what the moisture was on it you know and that was pretty pretty neat when I, you were that age <laughs> I never really did get to drive the grain trucks um most of our grain trucks were just barely hanging on and honestly my brother was a lot better at it and my mom was a lot better at it than I ever would have been so I never got to do that, but I made a lot of meals for the harvest field, a lot of meals for the harvest field. And I think I've talked about that before of my dad probably ate a lot more um, dirt than he ever thought he would. <laughs> <laughs> it's the secret ingredient. <laughs> <laughs> but um, everybody has a role to play in harvest. And maybe that's why families out here, we have such strong connections to harvest and such deep memories is we remember our roles. We remember growing up in those roles. Uh, the first time that you had any sort of responsibility other than sitting quietly in the shade of the, of the truck, you know, digging in the dirt while your mom was waiting on an, on another load. Right. Um, yeah. you know, what was your first, uh, responsibility? Probably just staying out of the way we always accompanied mom to the to the elevator in the truck. And there was one point, because we'd always play in the truck before it would be full. I lost the flip-flop <laughs> and was devastated because you got one pair of flip-flops during the summer. And um, we couldn't find one until the, the guy at the elevator, I think his name was Dwayne, Joe or Dwayne, I can't remember, but told them, you know, she lost her flip-flop in the weed. If you see it, grab it, please. <laughs> and they found it. <laughs> <laughs> right before it went down. <laughs> yep. And they always had, at the elevator at Hal, they always had the pop soda in bottles. And we always got to go in there and pick a bottle of pop out. Mm -hmm. Welch's grape soda was what I used to go for. Ice cold Pepsi in the bottle at the, at the Gary Grain elevator in Junction City, Kansas. And boy, howdy, you, you took back the empties because they, they, yep. you know, <laughs> That was the polite thing to do is take back the empties. And I, I just remember, yeah, there was a lot of stress. You know, my dad worked so many long days and he would cut until the, the week got too tough to cut. And then we'd still be putting up hay 
So, you know, you'd be going off and on wheat harvest, hay, <laughs> bailing. There's just so many things that happen in the summertime and so many duties that you have to have that you have to get done. So that way you have provisions set aside for your family and your, your livestock for the next coming months when there is no growing season. And I think that's another thing too. Um, harvest, we see that there is a seasonality to life. We saw it planted in the fall. We saw it come up and green up in the spring. And here we are in the summer and it's ready to cut and put aside and, and we're going to have, you know, we'll start baking bread and, and things in the fall. There's a seasonality to the crops that we live and breathe out here. And I think that's, that's part of the mythology that people connect to. And, and I sure hope, you know, as people are, are watching and paying attention to our all aboard wheat harvest crews, um, that they get a little bit of that taste. And, and I hope that we start some conversations with our crews, just talking with Brian and his dad and, and his whole family yesterday. You know, there's something to be said about standing in the shade of a pickup and with a, a ice cold pop in your hand, just kind of shooting the breeze and, and talking things out. And I, I miss those conversations, Kayleen. Yeah, there was a lot of those conversations around the tailgate of a pickup during during a break. So we hope that you guys that are listening here, go take a look at our all aboard wheat um, our all aboard wheat harvest page, which is all aboard harvest.com. Uh, check out there, go like, and, and follow our all aboard wheat harvest Facebook page. And, you know, we actually have rolled out this ask the harvester segment and, and our harvest crews are going to go on Facebook live once a week. And you can ask them your questions. You can ask them, how do you do this? Um, no question is too small. No question is too big. So they are happy to answer and, and connect with you guys and give you a glimpse of what their lives are like on the road. And I think that's the, the coolest part. So anything else? How, how's the rest of your, uh, how's the rest of your, your week been, Kayleen? <laughs> we had baseball on Monday and Tuesday, and we've been trying to take care of the 4-H pigs and the goats and everything else that needs to be done around here. <laughs> busy, so busy. The boys busy. don't know what time to go to bed. It's 9 o'clock usually when we get in the house. So, Yep. Chance, Chance didn't want to go to bed last night when we got home. <laughs> <laughs> he was all hopped up on Mountain Dew? Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, it was kind of fun to have him out with us and, and um, enjoy that. So as for me, uh, Garrett and I, this last weekend, we did a road trip real quick back to Woodbine. And I got to have my favorite dish in the world, um, Brigitte's schnitzel. And I've talked a lot about Brigitte's Cafe in Woodbine, Kansas. And the fact that Brigitte had retired a couple of years back and you know, except for a couple of uh, schnitzel dinners uh, that were fundraisers in the community, we we just didn't have anybody that was willing to take up the frying pan, as it were. And she came out of retirement just when you thought it was over. She came out of retirement and uh, she opened up the restaurant again. So Garrett and I made a special trip home, got to see the Littles finally after several months of keeping our distance away from them. And I tell you what, that was really good for my heart, Kayleen. The schnitzel probably not because it's a <laughs> it's a fried food, but 
definitely spending time with my littles. That was good for my heart. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> so how are you folks doing out there? You can drop us a line at hpjtalk at hpj.com and let us know. Or you can call us at 1-800-452-7171. Hey, and do us a favor and head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. In this week's episode, we'll bring you the stories you might have missed in the June 15th print edition. We'll have a discussion with Brian and Glenn Jones of Jones Harvesting out of Iowa this week as they harvested near Dodge City. Kayleen, of course, will bring us the latest on gray markets and we'll have our final thoughts. Alta Seeds brings you this week's episode. Alta will debut its new iGrowth sorghum line July 8th in its first ever Sorghum Frontiers virtual field day. iGrowth is the world's first non-GMO herbicide-tolerant sorghum that's now commercially available in the U.S. market. It enables pre- or post-emergent weed control. Be sure to register for the online access to Sorghum Frontiers via www.hpj.com slash Sorghum Frontiers to learn more about this new trait and the company that's bringing it to your farm. Hey folks, we are all safe and sound and we are excited because it smells like weed harvest around here and we hope you guys are getting geared up for harvest too. So thanks for riding along with us here on HPJ Talk. cover story is by Shauna Rumbaugh, Growing for the Future, Family Farm Drives Soil Health and Irrigation Technology Research. Farmer Ray Flickner grows corn, soybeans, and wheat on his primarily irrigated operation located near Mound Ridge, Kansas, which is northwest of Wichita in McPherson County. He has experimented with cover crops and sorghum in the mix too. Ray's son, Ryan Flickner, said that in 2001, his dad installed the farm's first subsurface drip irrigation system and now over 500 acres on the farm is in SDI. Ryan said that ever since the late 1940s and early 1950s, following the invention of center pivot irrigation, there's been much research done on declining aquifers and reductions in water pumping rates. Several years ago, the family farm partnered with Kansas State University researchers on some planting population studies with corn. You know, Kayleen, um, I just, I love it when farmers figure out how to use technology to do things quicker, cheaper, more efficiently, and and really being good stewards of the resources available, don't you? Yeah, I agree. It's refreshing to see that they care so much about the, the land and their crops and everything that goes into it. Mm-hmm. You know, we, a lot of people hear that we farm on, quote, dry land. And they don't understand that, uh, you know, that's only if you have Mother Nature participating <laughs> fully in the production cycle. You know, Mother Nature, if you leave it up to her to give your crop all of it, the water that it needs, the surface water it needs, you could be in trouble. Irrigation takes some of that um, uncertainty out of the equation. But every drop has to count. You have to make every drop count. And so, Research as to application methods that are using, you know, very, very fine droplets of water 
that will actually stick to the plant, that will actually go into the ground and actually do what they're supposed to do. That's one aspect of research. We've got other places that are, are looking at the crops themselves and figuring out to breed for the crops that are water sippers and they still make pretty decent yields or even better yields. Um, we always continue to improve. I think that's when we were talking with Glenn out in the field yesterday, the things that he saw, he's seen in 40 years of farming. Um, I wonder what 40 years from now farmers will see, don't you? Yeah, it might not be recognizable. Yeah. So anyway, check that um, story out if you can on hpj.com. Lacey Newland has a story inside, so you want to build a slaughter plant. In light of the recent increase in retail beef prices and decrease in cattle prices, many cattle producers have expressed interest in starting up small beef processing facilities that do not undercut the rancher and provide consistent prices for consumers. Lacey chatted with Davey Griffin, a Texas A&M professor in Extension Meat Sciences, who said he's been amazed at the number of producers looking into this option. Quote, it's just astronomical the number of inquiries we're getting about starting a plant, getting these cattle through the system, and just serving customers as well, end quote. Griffin went on to say that plants can fall under four inspection regulations, and for a federally inspected plant, the facility must have functioning sanitation standard operating procedures to make sure that the plant is clean and able to produce healthy and safe products before an animal ever enters the facility. He said it also must have a functioning hazard analysis and critical control point plan. Federally inspected plants can inspect livestock, anti-mortem, during slaughter, and post-mortem. On the Opinions and Editorials page, editor Dave Bergmeier has his column, Spring of Discontent May Plant Seeds of Hope. A letter to the editor comes from Robin Jennison, general manager of the Kansas State Fair, titled More Than Just a Mascot. And as an aside, I heartily approve of Ike the Buffalo as our new mascot. <laughs> and of course, Don Metzler of Dubuque, Colorado, has a letter to the editor titled The Importance Healthy Soils Play in Saving the Planet. Contributor David Murray has a story, Ninth Circuit Revoked Dicamba Registration Prompts Search for Alternatives. A three-judge panel of the Ninth Circuit issued a ruling June 3rd that revoked the Environmental Protection Agency's two-year registration of three formulas, the weed-killing pesticide dicamba. Writing for the panel, Judge W. Fletcher said the EPA failed to adequately assess the risk that dicamba drift posed for the environment as it was required to do. The agency drastically underestimated the extent of its use and accepted industry information that was unverified or unreliable, the judge said. Those students alone provided enough justification to revoke the registration. The ruling came in response to a petition by several organizations, including the National Family Farm Coalition, Center for Food Safety, Center for Biological Diversity, and the Pesticide Action Network, North America. So why this is really important, and I hope our listeners, even if you're not in agriculture, can can kind of, um, you know, I'd hope that you would kind of look at this with an open mind and understand why farmers are up in arms over this. When they planted their seed that was dicamba tolerant seed, they purchased that in probably January and they planted that starting in March. This ruling comes down in June, um, end of May, beginning of June, when you've already got crop in the field that you have planned and already purchased your dicamba. And so you've planned to use dicamba as your weed control method on this crop that you purchased and paid extra for 
because it was dicamba tolerant. And now you have the Ninth Circuit that's saying, well, no, the EPA was actually wrong and in um, approving this in the very beginning because it relied on flawed research that, you know, according to the court's opinion, it was flawed research from industry that was providing the back, the backing research to EPA for approval, right? So you've got all these farmers that are stuck with this crop that they can't, you know, we don't know if they can apply dicamba in some states, states by states, they're, they're making these decisions as to whether they can apply dicamba or not. Um, this is a billion dollar judgment here when you get right down to it, as far as the economic effects of people that have already have, have already put out money that they just didn't have to begin with, Kayleen. Yeah, I've seen, I saw somewhere, I don't know where I read it at, that they were saying that there's a possibility they can already use the stuff they have purchased and haven't sprayed with yet. Is that true, or what have you saw? So, again, state by state, um, the state uh, Department of Agri- Departments of Agriculture, I believe, and their health and environmental agencies in each state are, are making decisions And according to some, if you've already purchased your dicamba to use on this 2020 crop, then you should be in the clear. But that was unclear altogether from the Ninth Circuit ruling. And so these are things that they have to iron out after this ruling came about. And whether or not you agree with with GM crops or not, whether or not you agree with um, applying chemicals on crops for control of weeds and, and other pests, that's beside the point. What we're looking at right now is the price of crops, uh, our commodity crops, were already dinged hard by trade problems, by COVID problems. Um, And now you have these farmers that have already paid all of their costs up front to grow this crop. And you, the Ninth Circuit, said, nope, sorry, you can't grow the crop. Or you can grow the crop, but you can't use the crop protection methods that you had planned. And now you're out that money. That's what everybody was so up in arms over, rightly so. Frankly, if I was a farmer and I had spent that much money on seed and and inputs up front, and then I was told in the middle of the growing season, nope, nope, you can't use those. We say no. I'd be a little perturbed too, Kayleen. Yeah, I'd be more than perturbed. My husband used to haul chemical for a company, and I saw one of the, the packing slips, and it was obnoxious how much those chemicals cost. Well, and those bills don't get paid until after harvest. You know, those companies carry that cost on the books until they get paid after harvest. And that's hoping that you get a crop to harvest. And that's hoping that the price that you have locked in um, for your harvested crop will actually pay those costs. It's, It's an economic education that not a lot of people understand. But really, if you eat food in the United States, you ought to learn ag economics. I agree. Well, now, Kayleen, you have a story now about how cattlemen have the deck stacked against them in the livestock story for this week. Cattle producers have a number of challenges in the beef market created by COVID-19, you write. Kansas State University Animal Sciences and Industry Department and K-State Research and Extension, they hosted a webinar May 14th, hoping to help beef producers assess their current nutrition and management strategies during this time. And our friend Glenn Tonser said, first and foremost, quote, I think it's important to recognize that a lot of the challenges in the cattle industry right now reflect the bottleneck issue, end quote. That pinch point is causing such numerous problems 
We had the disruption of meat flow. We had pushback on livestock. Um, that reflected that bottleneck, he said, of more animals that were trying to get in the harvesting system. And we talked about that in earlier uh, episodes of, of HPJ Talk. It just gave us a lot of logistical challenges and, and um, in the harvesting and processing of meat products. But Glenn said the bottleneck is not unique to the beef cattle sector at all. Multiple protein supply chains are also going through this, including pork and poultry. Uh, I always appreciate Glenn Tonser's way of cutting through <laughs> to the heart of the matter, don't you, Kayleen? Yeah, absolutely. He just cuts right to the point and doesn't add any extra to it. And it makes it easy to understand what's going on and what you should be looking for and what you should do to to protect yourself if you are a cattle producer. So you are a cattle producer. You sat in on that call. Um, what were some takeaways for you? You're going to make me think. <laughs> <laughs> that was a month ago. <laughs> no, it just made me kind of realize that, you know, you really should have a plan for these calves that are, that were hitting the ground in February, March, and April and find the best place to send them if you're not going to keep them if you're going to wean them and sell them i mean you have to do have a little forethought to um your plan as far as what you're going to do with these animals and the status quo is not going to cut it anymore and my husband and i have found that out in the short time we've owned our cows and hopefully we can do the right thing and not necessarily make any money but not go on the hole any further one would hope kayleen one would hope <laughs> And Jenny, it looks like you had to common ground column this week, wisdom of father figures. You write, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. And if you have time to lean, you have time to clean. You can drag your feet, but the work's still going to be there when you get around to it. And I'm guessing most of you out there, like my own family, we had similar phrases like that. And I can still hear my dad yelling, what are you doing? <laughs> get busy. <laughs> And I'm sure my own kids, you know, probably hear the same thing. <laughs> I, I you know, won't. I won't say what I'm normally saying. <laughs> well, I gotta I, keep it clean. I did PG up the uh, <laughs> the the phrases before <laughs> I wrote them, but you know, Kayleen, there are so many father figures in all of our lives, and some that we identify, and some that we don't realize were father figures until we are much older and they are gone. Um, and we realize that they, they too are some of those voices in our heads. I don't, honestly, I hear my dad every time I, I, I talk to the fellas kids, I hear my dad in the back of my head, you know, or when I am working on a project, you know, if it is worth doing, it is worth doing right and getting it done. <laughs> um, you know, I hear my, my grandpa and his words, words of wisdom and family friends and, uh, Father's Day is coming up on Sunday. Um, some of you will be listening to this over Father's Day weekend. And I really want to say, you know, take the time to think about the words that really made an impression on your minds and the people that made those impressions. And if you still have them available, tell them thank you, because that wisdom that we pass on, it gets us out of trouble. <laughs> it keeps us from getting into trouble. Um, sometimes it's just their way of showing love. So... Um, I hope you hear your dad's voice, Kayleen. Yeah, that would would be nice. I hear it my sister every once in a while, and she's talking to my kids. So, And I know some of the stuff that comes out of my mouth is stuff that I heard from him. So. 
I think as long as we have that, they are never gone from us. Well, now, folks, you can read more on the variety of ag issues facing farmers and ranchers in the print High Plains Journal, or you can look for it online anytime at www.hpj.com. If you have a response to something you've read or heard, please write to us at journal at hpj.com or hpjtalk at hpj.com. We want to hear from you. High Plains Journal's Cattle U is thundering back to the United Wireless Arena in Dodge City, Kansas, July 29th and 30th. Don't miss your chance to hear from the top names in the cattle industry and learn how you can bring more value to your herd. Sessions will target all the segments of the cattle business, from the cow-calf producer to the feedlot manager. For registration details, visit www.cattleu.net. And don't forget to look for the code in the print High Plains Journal for your $30 off registration. Visit www.cattleu.net today. everybody. We have a treat for you this week. We are out in the field with Brian Jones, one of our All Aboard Wheat Harvest correspondents. Brian, hey, thanks for letting us come out to the field. Hey, Jennifer. Nice to have you. Okay, so how does the harvest look? Boy, it's looking really, really nice here. We have uh, thought we maybe have a little bit of a break between Oklahoma and Kansas, but we unloaded equipment and then the next day looked around at some fields and found a few that looked like they were probably ready to go and uh, we are just been cutting up a storm now, and it looks like unless we have a, a weather delay of some sort, we will probably be at it here for quite some time. So I think people are always uh, interested in knowing, a little anxious knowing, right? When we first start, what's the yield really going to be? What's it like? You never really know until that combine finally gets into the field. And it looks like we're seeing a lot of 40 to 70 bushel wheat, um, which I think is maybe a little surprising to some people, but it seems to be a high quality, nice wheat, and it should be a nice stop for custom harvesters in this area. We have Brian's dad, Glenn, here with us. And Glenn, why don't you tell us where you guys started at and where you're headed and how long it's going to be when you get home. On June 1st, we moved down to Thomas, Oklahoma from Greenfield, Iowa. And we unloaded and immediately went to work. And we were there for about nine days and then loaded up and moved up here a couple days ago. And it has been uh, a whirlwind no weather delays and uh, we'll be here probably a week and a half maybe two weeks and then my northern Kansas job is no longer there because of no job we've got a lot more row crop less wheat and Nebraska looks to be a long ways off so I might be moving on to South Dakota from here because I have a major stop in South Dakota. So Glenn this is your 38th Harvest yep. on the road? Yes, 38 years we've been doing this. All right, so what's changed in those 38 years? I know that's a big question, but uh, when you first started out to where you're at today with the whole family and Brian and the crew, um, what's what's one of the biggest things that, that really sticks out in your mind? I started with a 1974 C65 Chevy gas truck 
427. Now I'm running a 2005 Volvo 465 horse semi. The headers were 24 feet. Today we're running 40 foot headers and we can cut twice as much in a day now as we could back in 1983. Holy buckets. <laughs> That's a lot. Brian, you've been on the road with your family and the harvest crew your entire life. Um, what's that like? Well, I it's always interesting. People ask us about corn and soybeans and I always tell them, you know, we plant it and then we leave and we've never seen corn and soybeans grow. And they're like, you're in Iowa and you've never seen a cornfield grow. And I'm like, nope, because <laughs> we're always out here, you know, so we don't really know anything, uh, I guess, different than that since we've done it for such a long time. But it's uh, now that we've done this for so many years, most of these places that we're going to, um, we have gone to all 38 of those years. So, you know, it feels like going back home. If you add up all the time that we've spent in those places for 38 years, it's a pretty substantial time. So we feel like we go back to the grocery stores and the churches and shop and see some of the same people. And, you know, it's just, it's become a routine that we really look forward to. And it's just a part of our lives now. So what's it like bringing the whole family on the road, Glenn? It has its ups and downs like anything does with the family. <laughs> uh, when we started, we had two children, three and five years old. And a couple years later, we added a third child. My wife fixes meals and brings them to the field for supper. We take lunches out with us for dinner. And uh, the kids grew up learning how to run the combine. <laughs> At 12, 13 years old, they were behind the wheel and, and it's... Uh, I think it's been a good learning experience for all of us. So what, what's it been like this year with all the COVID and all the, that sort of thing? Have you guys changed anything? Have you done anything different? Have you had any travel snafus because of that? No, we really have not seen a, a lot of differences. I think, I, I think there are a little bit behind the scenes and definitely I, I think there's a different mood or tone a little bit as you travel around and go. Um, you know, at home when we're, we were uh, planting our own crops um, on our farm and then preparing, you know, it's pretty easy to social distance when you're just working with cattle or sitting in a tractor seat. But, uh, you know, we limited the, the trips that we made to town and combined some things. And if there was a chance to maybe have a parts, you know, dropped off instead of uh, visiting the store in person, you know, we did those types of things. But now we're out here and uh, we did kind of prepare um my uh, mom and sister worked on sewing masks for us. So we have those. We were afraid that perhaps we might end up in a state where that was required to, uh, you know, to be worn if you went to a certain place. But um, we just uh, are really, you know, a little bit cautious and think mm -hmm. about, you know, um, especially with um, some younger kids that are along with us as well. We just try to be mindful about our own health and the people around us and just be responsible what we're in doing. But I think um, for a lot of us, you know, it, it doesn't really have any direct impact, um, at least definitely not like it did a few months ago. Yeah, I imagine. <laughs> well, gentlemen, this has been fun. It's rare that we get to have two generations of all aboard Wheat Harvest correspondents coming on um, the podcast with us. So where's the next stop down the road? Well, we think we're going to probably end up in uh, Oneida, South Dakota, which is right in the central part of the state. Um, we're hearing that Nebraska has uh, had a very tough weather year. Their spring was not very great, and uh, now their crop is really looking quite poor. But the biggest thing is it's delayed so much that we think that South Dakota may start simultaneously or maybe actually ahead of some of the fields in Nebraska. And that's going to create a real problem for a lot of custom harvesters. You can't be in two places at once. But we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm afraid some of us might have kind of a long pause in between here. 
but uh, every year is a different type of a year, and this year is certainly shaping up to be another one. So we'll see how it plays out. All right. Well, thanks, Brian and Glenn. And you can catch up with these guys and all the other correspondents on the blog at www.allaboardharvest.com. Well, thanks for that update. And remember, folks, if you want to catch up with our All Aboard Wheat Harvest crews, visit their blog at www.allaboardharvest.com and look for their posts in the pages of High Plains Journal each week. All Aboard Wheat Harvest is brought to you by Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children, Unverfirth Manufacturing, AgriPro Seed, Agco Gleaner, and BASF, who remind you that we're all in this together. High Plains Journal is bringing Wheat Sorghum U back to the Kansas Star Event Center in Mulvane, Kansas, August 11th. Don't miss this one-day event with speakers from around the High Plains bringing you the education and tools you need to boost your wheat and sorghum bottom lines. Registration is free. Don't delay. Save your seat today at www.hpj.com. Your gray market prices from Dodd City Pride Egg Resources on June 9th Corn was up at $3.23. Wheat was up at $4.18. Milo was up at $3.38. And soybeans were up at $7.68. If you'd like to have crop or livestock targeted news emailed directly to you, sign up for our HPJ Direct email newsletters on our website, www.hpj.com slash sign up. Simply select the topics that interest you and you'll receive updates on them directly to your email. Be sure to watch for our cotton issue of High Plains Journal in your mailboxes June 22nd with a story from Lacey Newland. And you can always look for additional content online anytime at www.hpj.com. This week's episode was brought to you by Alta Seeds. Alta will debut its new iGrowth sorghum line July 8th in the first ever Sorghum Frontiers Virtual Field Day. iGrowth is the world's first non-GMO herbicide-tolerant sorghum that's commercially available in the U.S. market, enabling pre- or post-emergent weed control. Be sure to register for the online access to Sorghum Frontiers via www.hpj.com slash Sorghum Frontiers to learn more about this new trait and the company that's bringing it to your farm. Remember, you can subscribe for free to this podcast at hpj.com slash podcast. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you download podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at HPJ Talk for news and commentary throughout the week. And you can always drop us a line at our email, hpjtalk at hpj.com. Thanks again, folks, for riding along with us as we bring ag news and commentary to you. And remember, as Dodge City's favorite lawman, Wyatt Earp, once said, fast is fine, but accuracy is everything. We'll see you on the trail. Dirt road in a gooseneck, saddle up with me. Dry land in God's country, crops far as I can see. The headlights on both ends of my day. This country life is for me. Ride with us, HPJ.